We're going to go ahead and get started with the 126th Psalm today. This is a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, I don't normally comment on the psalms that I read before we get started, but I'll tell you a couple things about this. Is uh, If you've ever seen the old reels of the uh, recapture of Jerusalem in 1967, it's almost mirrored by this psalm. Here they came back after the Babylonian captivity, and uh, it says that they, they were uh, just filled with uh, laughter and their tongues with singing, and they said the Lord has great, done great things for us. And sure enough, the same thing happened in 1967. Israel was once again reestablished as a nation in 1948, and then uh, 19 years later, just as the Bible predicted, Israel uh, recaptured Jerusalem, and uh, it, it, you can watch the, the faces of these people as they walk up to the Western Wall, and uh, they marveled at what the Lord had done for them. And then in the second half of this psalm, it's so beautiful to read this, you go out to my uh, my truck, you can see this written on the side of it, this part of this psalm, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. The idea is that at the end of the harvest season, before you sow your new seed, obviously the grain is uh, getting low. Uh, there's not as much to eat. You know, when you have your harvest, you've got this great big pile of uh, wheat or barley or whatever, and you have, you know, all kinds of parties and invite people over. But towards the end, before you start sowing again, there's not a lot of... Uh, uh, seed left and then you have an option in your head do i take this seed and do i put it into the ground in hopes of a prosperous season or do we actually eat it as bread to survive and uh, this is something that people throughout history have had to do is they've had to make decisions and of course the prudent man will sow in hopes that god will provide the the uh, rain and then the increase of the uh the um seed that's sown and uh, here they go out into the field weeping as they throw in their last bit of food in hopes of this uh, harvest. And uh, it says, those who do this, who sow in tears, shall reap in joy. And the idea is a spiritual application is that those people who give their lives as missionaries for the sake of the gospel will give up everything. They'll go out to sow precious seed into the uh, harvest field of the world. And someday they're going to come into the heavenly gates with people that they have brought to the Lord. And that uh, reminds me of Paul and Elaine here, just coming back from Japan. And uh, I was talking with Paul at the uh, the building uh, just a couple days ago that, uh, you know, some of the people that came to the Lord through their ministry. And uh, here they are uh, someday. They, you know, they, they left here in weeping, I guarantee you, because we had to move all their furniture and it was horrible. And, uh, you know, they, they went off and did their mission work and uh, they will be uh, returning in joy someday with their sheaves with them. And so uh, it's just a beautiful picture that we get of the spiritual application of what actually happens in God's, uh, from God's word. He uses real physical things to show us spiritual truths and uh, it's a wonderful stuff. Anyway, that was the 126th Psalm. And then uh, before we uh, get into anything of any... Uh, significance i want to give just a couple announcements um most of you know that we bought a building and that uh, we'll be meeting at it in it at some point it's at 6512 superior avenue which is right over the bridge in Gulfgate. and um the 
contractor is waiting to get started. He was supposed to start this week, but the uh, uh, county found a problem on the blueprint, so it had to go back to the engineer, and the engineer had to redo something uh, because uh, he did a residential whatever instead of a commercial, and so he had to modify it for a commercial building. And uh, he figures it'll probably be Wednesday, and then they'll get started on the building. And once he gets started, he thinks it'll be about six weeks before we can actually move in. So it's exciting times, and uh, I'm looking forward to it personally. And uh, uh, so that, that's, that's the status of the building right now. And uh, today is our 68th sermon in Genesis. Um, we've got a couple real diehards here. We've got Kelly Carlin, who's been to 66 of the 68, and... Uh, is it yeah 66 she had one her daughter was in a military parade so she was excused and the second one was um uh that she had to take care of somebody that had open heart surgery so we excused her for that and recently in the past probably 35 or so sermons we've had dave here who we can't get rid of and uh he's he's been faithful coming week after week i'm just amazed at it so uh uh anyway gotta thank you that are diligent to come week after week and um, I will do today a New Testament reading. The sermon isn't that long. It's about 45 minutes long. And uh, I've kind of gotten away from this just because of the length of the sermons and uh, what's been going on. But uh, just real quickly, Romans 13, 8 through 14. And uh, I'll give just minimal common comments just uh, so we stay in the New Testament because we're, Genesis will be in here for another two years and probably 45 or 50 before we get to the New Testament. So anyway, um, Genesis 13, verse 8. Um, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, this is a great precept, and I brought this up in the past, is that uh, the Bible does not want you to get into debt. And uh, it, when it says, owe nobody anything, it, it intends for us to pay our bills. And uh, as well, it intends us for us to pay our vows. And a bill is kind of like a vow. So you want to make sure that you pay your bills and, if possible, stay out of debt. And uh, that's the idea there. But um, there is something that we can owe, and that is to love one another. Um, where was that? For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Uh, verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, of course, uh, that's uh, something that Jesus was asked, what is the uh, greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And, uh, of course, then we have the Ten Commandments. And I, I want to qualify this before I say it because I always have somebody get upset unless they listen through the whole thing. The law as the New Testament says again and again and again and again, is obsolete. It's over. It's set aside in Christ. We are not bound under the law to include the Ten Commandments. But nine of those Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. So we are bound to those nine. The only one, which is the one commandment that we are not bound to in the New Testament? It's the Sabbath. That's why we meet on a Saturday or Sunday. A Sabbath is a Saturday Paul says that we're not required to meet on any day, or we can meet every day. Let each man esteem, one man esteems one day above another, one man esteems all days the same. Let every man uh, be determined in his own mind. So uh, uh, the Sabbath is not something that we are required to uh, observe. Um, verse 10, uh, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, Jesus Christ is God, God is love. He came and fulfilled the law on our behalf. And we put our hope and trust in what he did. Because if we try to meet the, the law on our own merits, 
we will always fall short. And we're going to see that in this uh, particular passage of Genesis today. Um, verse 11, and uh, do this, knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And of course, Paul wrote this about 30 years after the uh, resurrection of Christ. And it's been 2,000 years since then. And uh, the idea that the Bible gives right throughout the entire New Testament is that Christ could come at any moment. There's no time when we don't expect him. And when he said, you know, the time is nearer than when we first believed, it certainly is. And uh, yet 2,000 years has gone by. But a day to the Lord is like a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years is like a day. And uh, so to him who was outside of time and who created time for our benefit, he, it doesn't matter. It is already done. If you've called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're already sitting with Christ in the heavenly realms, according to Ephesians 2, uh, 4 through 7. So uh, uh, what is done to him is something that we are still waiting to have happen in our own lives. So be patient and uh, know that the Lord is coming. It's not just a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some, as Peter says, a cunningly devised fable. It is something that really is going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to return. And uh, uh, just be ready for it at every moment. And uh, he says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And if you want to see the uh, the uh, armor of God and the uh, you know the clothing that Paul used metaphorically to describe spiritual applications you can go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and there he will explain these applications the uh, belt of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and all of these things uh, and you can spiritually apply what a Roman soldier wore to how you should live your life in Christ and the reason why he probably uses these uh, metaphors is because he was normally in prison when he was writing these epistles and so he has a guard there with him and so he just looks at them and he says you know let's make an application out of this guy's attire um he he wasn't in uh prison when he wrote the book of romans but uh you know obviously he's using these so that we can understand spiritual applications um Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, uh, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ means to wear the garments of righteousness. His blood covers our sins, and because we are saved by him, it does not give us license to sin. In fact, we should want to honor him with our lives, and we want to put him on as a garment of righteousness. Uh, when the God the Father sees us, he sees his son's purity and his son's perfection. And what we should do is try to emulate that as best as possible. We all fall short. Anybody that thinks that we're sinless in this age, I, I think you've made a mistake. Uh, it's not going to happen until we're glorified. But we can be sanctified. We can become more and more like Christ throughout the, uh, uh, our life by walking in his will, by reading his word, by communing with other Christians, and uh, keeping separate from the world. Anyway, that's uh, Romans 13, 8 through 14, and uh, might as well pull this back out because I'm going to need it twice. I do that every week. I put that down, and then uh, I realize that we have another psalm to read. So um, let me go ahead and read that, and that would be the 127th psalm. If you can tell, we're just going in line in the Psalter, and uh, uh, we uh, only psalm that we skipped was the 119th psalm, and that's because it's 176 verses long, and uh, we'd be here all day reading it. But 
for those of you that have never attended before, I recommend to people that if you read your Bible daily, which you should do, uh, and here's something to make all of you feel guilty while I'm thinking about it. It takes 154 days to read your Bible if you read it 30 minutes a day. So uh, I'm sure that most of you here have a TV and that you watch your TV at least 30 minutes a day. So um, what is more important when you stand before the Lord? Are you going to say, I was watching uh, Alan Alda and MASH, or I was watching uh, House, or I was reading my Bible? Because this is how we get to know God, and this is how we get to know what he expects of us, and also to fellowship with him. We fellowship with him through the reading of the word and through prayer, and as I said, through communing with other believers. So... Um, uh, 154 days if you read it only 30 minutes a day and that's out loud because an, uh, an audio Bible takes 77 hours out loud to listen to and we usually read quicker silently than we do out loud so actually you probably be done in about 145 days and that means twice in a year you can read this precious treasure from the Lord if you just simply dedicate your time to it the 119th Psalm, as I said, it's 176 verses long. It's made into 22 octaves. In other words, there's eight verses per octave, and they're based on that Hebrew al Aleph Bet. Aleph Bet, Gimel Dalet, and each one of those verses in those eight, uh, those eight verses in each octave begins with that particular letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. It's, it's a masterpiece of literature. But what I do every day before I read my Bible is I read one of those octaves. And then after 22 days, you've read all 22 of them, you go back and start again. And every single one of those verses, minus like two, mentions God's word. It mentions his statutes, his judgments, his ordinances, uh, his precepts. And it asks the Lord to fill you and to remind you of those things in your walk. And so my recommendation is that if you do read your Bible, which you should do, um, start with the 119th Psalm every day and just read eight of those verses. And it'll put you in the right perspective of what you should be uh, uh, you know, the right perspective as far as your attitude towards his great word that he's given us. Anyway, um, Psalm 127. This is another one of the 14 songs of ascents. And uh, because we got some people that weren't here in the past, I will explain that the songs of ascents um, are, what that means is you're ascending as you're reading them. And these 14 psalms start outside of Israel outside of the land of promise and they slowly work towards the land of Israel and they get up to the border and then you get inside the land of Israel and you're making this pilgrimage towards Jerusalem and then you get to Jerusalem. Anytime that Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible, it's always from the reference point of up if you're outside of it or down if you're in it. So the nations are down from Jerusalem. You're always going up towards Jerusalem. And uh, so you're ascending towards the holy city and then you get inside its gates and then you get up towards the temple and then you get to the temple and you get in closer to the holy place and then you commune with God. And that's the purpose of these psalms is to bring you closer to God through the reading of the Psalms of Ascents. And if you've never read them, there's 14 of them and it would take you about eight minutes to read all of them. So uh, once again, I try to make people feel guilty about their Bible reading so that they'll want to do this in the future. Um, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stands awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Heavenly Father, here we are in your glorious presence. And it is a beautiful day out here. It's just 
the temperature is perfect, the sun is out, the the uh, wind is light, and it's just glorious. And it, we just want to give you the praise for providing such a beautiful spot for us and for the fellowship we have with others and the treasure, which is your word. And I would hope and pray that if anybody here uh, has been falling away from reading their word, that maybe they'll hear something today which will inspire them to want to seek it out and to get deeper into it and to uh, once again uh, participate with you in that type of fellowship. And Lord, you know that uh, we have a person that's here today that is going to be facing heart surgery. We don't know exactly when. It's been delayed and delayed, but uh, we would pray for Paul and pray for Elaine, who uh, um, certainly is you know, facing the same uh, weight and the same stress of the weight that Paul is facing. And uh, so please be with them and be with anybody else here who is uh, uh, facing a new adventure such as Dave or anybody that's facing a trial or a heartache or a pain. Um, help them, Lord, to, uh, to just seek your face in all things and to understand that everything is within your control and that everything is because you love us. Even the things that we perceive as bad now, we will turn around someday and we will see your glory in it and your hand leading us to an understanding of who you are and why those things happen. So we want to praise you for that. and We want to just give you the glory and the honor that you alone are due, and especially for the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the giving of your Son to reconcile us to you. And we thank you for that and we praise you in his name. Amen. All right, we got uh, our sermon today is Genesis 29, 15 through 30. And as I said, this is our 68th Genesis sermon, and uh, this is entitled Seven Years and Seven Days from the Law to Grace. And uh, I do something every week. Uh, if you attend here regularly, you know what's coming. If not, um, I like to give a little uh, history lesson before we get into the sermon. And so uh, today is April 7th. And on this day in uh, 1652, the Dutch established a settlement at Cape Town, South Africa. And I never knew that. I thought that it was like a British settlement. And uh, I always wondered about the accent, if it had just changed over the years. But it, it tells me why they have that kind of hard accent is because it's a Dutch, Dutch settlement and eventually became uh, the nation of South Africa. And uh, they were a world power. You know, they had their own nuclear weapons. And uh, uh, because of apartheid and the world coming against them, uh, that was ended. And uh, they, they gave up, uh, you know, the author authoritarian rule over the blacks. And uh, it is it really, it has been, I don't know how it is in the past year, but it's been a real example of uh, how to mix cultures together. And uh, so uh, it's, it's a testament to how things can work. Um, and I got some friends, as a matter of fact, on Facebook who are from South Africa, and they're very pleased with the way things go in their uh, nation. Um, in 1798, the territory of Mississippi was organized. And uh, if you know anything about uh, Mississippi, it actually became a state in 1870, and it is our 20th United States, uh, state in the United States. So, uh, but that was way back in 1798, and it was probably a pretty uh, rugged place back then. Uh, 1862 came uh, General Grant. Uh, he defeated the Confederates at the Battle of Shiloh, which was in Tennessee. And uh, I love the Civil War history. Uh, Ken Burns, if you've heard of him, he did a great series on the Civil War, which was done for PBS. And uh, I know that at the Battle of Shiloh, 13,000 casualties occurred at that one battle. 1,700 were actually killed. And a casualty back then was not like a casualty now. You could get shot now with a bullet and it goes right through you. But these were the old musket balls, and if they hit you, they'd break the bone and they'd have to amputate. So uh, it was a brutal war. 
and uh, those uh, 1,700 killed were probably the more fortunate of many of the casualties because some of them probably suffered and died later or just had you know terrible wounds throughout their lives. But as always, I bring up war because uh, 1,700 people got up that morning and had breakfast and you know they wondered, am I going to make it home tonight? And they didn't. And uh, their eternal state was decided the moment that their eyes closed for the last time. And it's a lesson for all of us is that we don't know our final breath and we don't know what's going to happen, uh, you know, getting out on the road today or maybe uh, something as perverse as comes to mind choking on your uh, lunch or your dinner. Uh, you don't know. So please, if you don't know Jesus, uh, today's sermon is it's the Genesis sermon and it points to Jesus, but it doesn't give you a lot of theology about him in particular. But I will explain how you can be reconciled to God through Jesus at the end of the sermon. And it's something that I, I try to remind people of because you have choices to make. Paul says in the New Testament, today is the day of God's favor. Now it's the time of salvation. And uh, your last day is your last day. So anyway, 1927, the first long distance TV transmission was sent from Washington, D.C. to New York City. Now, does anybody here know whose face was on that uh, first TV transmission? It was Herbert Hoover, the Commerce Secretary at the time. Uh, let's see here, 1930, on uh, April 7th, the first steel columns were set for the Empire State Building. So uh, that got built up, and uh, there it still stands. Uh, 1930, prohibition began to end in the United States. It was actually the uh, Cullen Harrison Act that was passed by Congress. And uh, believe it or not, there had a delivery of beer to the uh, capital, Washington Capitol, the next day, which tells you if the act was passed on the 7th of April and they had beer delivered on the 8th that they'd already been brewing beer because you don't brew beer in a day. But uh, anyway, uh, Prohibition was actually um, ended on 5 December of the same year, 1933. And... Um, it shows us the flexibility of our Constitution, and it shows us, you know, that we can overcome certain things. And uh, so there are times where the Constitution uh, should be amended, and there are times when it shouldn't. And in this case, it was, and then it was undone. So, uh, okay, 1945, the Japanese battleship Yamato. It was the largest battleship that was ever made, and it was sunk on this day. And uh, one of the things about the Yamato was that it was headed... Uh, towards the Battle of Okinawa along with the Japanese fleet, and they were on a suicide mission. It was uh, not just little uh, one-man submarines, and it wasn't just bonsai pilots. By the end of the war, they were so desperate that they were going to sacrifice their entire fleet in hopes of beating off the Americans. And uh, uh, you can see that uh, the, the battle on mainland Japan after that would have been absolutely brutal. They were willing to fight to the very last person, and yet... Just as soon as the, uh, the bombs were dropped and they realized this is a, a no winner, uh, they laid down their arms and the uh, lion became a lamb. And uh, I got a pretty Japanese girl right over here that I've been married to for 20, uh, 28 years. And uh, uh, wonderful people, wonderful culture, but they were, they were really uh, fighters when it came to the war and they were determined. Um, 1948, and this doesn't interest me in any great way, but I know this does a lot of people, so I included it. South Pacific by Rogers and Hammerstein debuted on Broadway. Um, I have a friend that I grew up with in high school, and she uh, works at the Little Venice Theater. She's an actress, and I do go watch her plays, and I enjoy them because she's in it, but I'm not a play person. But um, 
uh, I know this is something some people really like to see. So uh, anyway, it was made into a movie eventually, and it was filmed in Kauai, Hawaii. But a portion of it, why they did this, I don't know, because it doesn't make any sense to me to fly all the way across the uh, halfway across the world to film just a portion of the movie. But they uh, filmed it in Malaysia. And I lived in Malaysia for three years, and there's a little island called Tioman. And uh, that's where they filmed a portion of this movie. And it was the scariest landing outside of one I did in Indonesia in my life because when we flew in, you couldn't see the, the runway. It was so small that until you were actually landing on it, you couldn't even see it. And they had this plane that was designed specifically like some of our military to just stop. And uh, I think they've extended it and made it more uh, useful now. But it was, it was frightening, wasn't it? It was amazing. And um, so there you go. Uh, 1953. IBM unveiled the IBM 701 electric data processing machine. It was IBM's first commercially available scientific computer. And it was about as big as a wall. It was commercially available, though. And, uh, you know, we all have things in our pockets right now that can do a zillion times more than this. But, you know, this was prophesied in Daniel chapter 12 that knowledge in the end times would increase. And uh, as you can see, this was only uh, 60 years ago this year and how much knowledge has increased in those 60 years. We sent people to the moon. We've got things flying around outside of our solar system now, and it's astonishing how true and relevant the Bible is. It was written by Daniel 2,700 years ago. Um, 1967, Israel reported that they had shot down six Syrian MiGs on this day, and that was a precursor to the uh, Six-Day War, one of their three absolutely unwinnable battles, which they won, all three of them. God's hand was upon them. And uh, I'm absolutely certain of that, that they have a plan and a purpose. And if anybody here disagrees with that, if you are not a person that believes that Israel has a purpose in today's world as far as God's economy, come up to me afterward and I'll, I'll show you where I am absolutely convinced of this. The Bible uh, never says the church replaced Israel. Israel is Israel and God has a plan for them. And by Jesus' own mouth, he says he is going to return to his people, Israel, in Jerusalem. So uh, it's something that uh, whether you agree with their policies or whatever right now, I assure you, God will be using them in the future. Um, 1970, John Wayne won his first and only Oscar on this day. Does anybody know what movie it was for? Good, good, yeah, True Grit. And uh, he did over 200 films, 200 of them. I mean, that's you figure if you did a film a day, that's a year of your life. And I mean, he was the main actor in most of them. So what an actor. One Oscar out of all of it. Um, two more things. Nixon pledged to withdraw 100,000 more people from Vietnam by December. And uh, he did that on uh, this day in 1971. And then finally, in 1980, the U.S. broke off diplomatic relations with Iran and imposed economic sanctions in response to the taking of hostages on November 4th, 1979. So that tells you that there was six months from the time that they took our people hostage to the time that we uh, broke off relations. And uh, it should have happened immediately. And uh, there were a lot of mistakes that were made. And uh, it took 444 days in the election of a new president to actually uh, get our people back. But um, that's history as we know it on uh, 7 April. And uh, we'll go ahead and read the text for today, which is uh, Genesis 29, verses 15 through 30. And we'll get right into the sermon. All right, let's see here. Genesis 29, verse 15. Now, as I'm reading this, I, you know, every week I show that what God is trying to tell you. 
And uh, uh, he, he is giving us these stories for a reason. It's not just so that we you know, have a cute story about people doing this or that. It is really trying to tell us something. And so as I'm reading this, kind of think about the rest of the Bible and what he is trying to tell us. And then we'll go through it verse by verse. Verse 15 says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill, for, excuse me, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Okay, as I said now, we're in our 68th Genesis sermon. And each one of these has reminded us that every single word so far finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We could ask ourselves today, why is this story included? In all honesty, we've just read it. And unless it is showing us a picture of something else that's going to happen, it doesn't really give us any guidance or information for our own life. Jacob married two wives, and that's all we really need to know. Esau married two wives too, and it doesn't include all of the details that this one does. But here we're told about Leah, and it focuses on her eyes. That's one of her defects, and it makes note of that. And there has to be a reason why that defect is noted. And then it stresses the beauty of Rachel. Now, why does it do that? Of what importance is it that Jacob spent seven years working for one wife, only to find that he had been given the other? It's a fun read, but why do we need to know this? And then Rachel is given right afterwards, and the work for her follows the marriage instead of preceding it. So why does that happen? Now, I assure you that these pictures that God is showing us are demonstrated in Jesus' great love for us, doing something for us that we could not have done. And then, just before finishing his work, he went through seven days of trial and sadness before the morning of joy came. So let's look together at what God wants us to learn from this story. Our text verse for today comes from the 32nd Psalm. It's the first and second verses. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Jesus. 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 It's all about Jesus. When we strut around and we glory in our selection of getting to go to heaven and enjoying the eternal splendor 
that God is going to provide for us, we often forget that this blessing involves someone else's work, his trial, and his death. May we never forget this. And so may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. We have three thoughts today. The first one is seven years for a beauty. Last, the last verse that we saw in our last Genesis sermon, which was two weeks ago because we did a, a Resurrection Day sermon last week. But the last verse that we saw was, And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Laban, knowing that Jacob is his kin, acknowledged this. And he says, You are my bone and my flesh. Because they are of the same stock and group of people, their family. And so he allowed Jacob to stay with him as a guest for an entire month. And Jesus came to his own stock and group of people as well. We hear about this in John chapter 1. It says there, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus dwelt among us for a time, just as Jacob dwelt with the house of Laban. And this is where we start up today. We're in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, we cannot make the error here that most commentators do, and I'm not one to get down on commentators, but they make the error that they say Jacob showed up at Laban's door with nothing to pay for his uh, time and nothing to... Uh, uh, pay a bribe price. In other words, he has a dowry back in that time that you paid, and most commentators will say that's the case. There is no doubt that he did not go alone on this journey. We've seen that in previous sermons, and he also would have had enough to pay a bribe price, just as Abraham's servant did many, many years earlier. Isaac and Rebekah went through the same thing. It was about 100 years earlier, and they knew what was re required in order to obtain a bride. However, Laban, he wants to look like a helpful guy, and so he offers him a job. But he may have hoped, actually, that Jacob would decline the offer and pay the bride price instead. But even if not, Jacob has now spent a full month with Laban, and it's probably apparent that he's a hardworking person, or he wouldn't have said anything to him at all in the first place. But at the same time, we see the same Laban that we saw those many years earlier when Abraham's servant came to get the bride, which was Laban's sister, Rebekah. He is a man of the world, and he has his eyes set on profit, not on the well-being of Jacob. His selfish attitude is seen right in this verse. It's disguised behind this veil of acting kindly towards Jacob. But what he is doing is turning any possible gratitude that Jacob would have felt, and instead he makes the proposition that he be hired like a servant. Whatever Laban is thinking, we have to consider Esau's threats to kill Jacob, which happened back several chapters ago. Jacob is probably taking every single day, one day at a time, and he is in no hurry to do anything that's going to necessitate him going back to Canaan. But now Laban forces his hand. Jacob becoming a servant of Laban is picturing Jesus coming as a servant for us. Jacob is going to suffer through hardships. Jesus suffered through hardship. Jacob worked for a wife whom he received after his work, and then he received a wife for whom he would later work more. This looks forward to Jesus fulfilling the law and then bestowing grace on all of us. All this is what we are to see in these things, and the next words will start us on this path. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. Once again, we see the number two being very important in the Bible. 
okay? The Bible, time and time again, when it uses the number two, it is done to signify a difference between things. Usually at things which are at enmity with each other or things which contrast each other. And this time it is no different. At the same time as these things will show a contrast though, they will normally also confirm each other. <clears throat> For example, there are two testaments in the Bible. You have the law and you have grace. They contrast each other and yet they both confirm the word of God. You have in nature, God gave us daytime and he gave us nighttime. They contrast each other and yet they confirm the duration of a single day. We could see patterns like this going on and on and on throughout the Bible and in the world itself. Laban has two daughters and they are going to contrast each other and yet they're going to confirm each other as well. Verse 16 continues, the name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's name means wearied or labored and Rachel means you lamb, like a female lamb. Laban could have had many other daughters, we have no idea, but these ones here are of marrying age and they are as yet unmarried. The others, if there are any others, are either already married or they're too young to be married. The Bible focuses on only these two, Leah and Rachel. Their names and how they became Jacob's wives are important to help us understand the work of Jesus in the future. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful, beautiful of form and appearance. Now here we see the contrast between the two, and yet we will also see the confirmation in what results. It's an astonishing thing for us to think about what Jesus did for us. But I gotta tell you what, it's pictured right in these two girls. Leah pictures the law. Her name means wearied. And it is the rote following of the law which actually wearies the Lord. This is seen right in the book of Isaiah, the first chapter. He uses in this verse a root of Leah's name. Listen to what it says. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. Now these are things that were mandated under the law. And he says the same thing about the sacrifices, etc. All through the Old Testament, he's saying that these things weary him. He says, they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. The word here for weary in this book of Isaiah is the word neleti. And it, its root is the word la'ah, which is the same basic word as the name Leah. And so you're seeing that it's a picture of the law. Secondly, the word for her eyes which is translated here as delicate, is the word rachot. It literally means weak. The New King James Version translates it delicate, and they're being very polite about that, but they're actually weak eyes. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, the law, like Leah's eyes, is described as weak. Here's what it says. The former regulation is set aside. That means it's obsolete. The, the law is obsolete. It's set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. You have the law, which is weak and useless. You have the grace of God coming through Jesus Christ where we draw near to God. Rachel, on the other hand, is called Yofat To'ar Vefat Mare. She was of beautiful of form and was beautiful of face. Rachel then pictures the gospel, the new covenant of Christ. Paul describes it to us in similar terms in Romans chapter 10. It says there, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. If the feet are beautiful, how much more the entire gospel? None of this is stretching what we're to learn here either. We are shown the contrast 
and yet the confirmation of the work of Jesus in these two women, and it's gonna become more apparent in the verses ahead. Verse 18, now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. I know I say Rachel and then Rachel, it's just, her name in Hebrew is actually Rachel. So sometimes it just pops into my head like that, and I apologize for that. The question here could arise, if Rachel is a picture of the gospel, then why would works be included? Now that's a good question, but it's a misdirected one. The gospel is good news, which tells us that we are saved by grace through faith and that works are not involved in the process. But it's also the case that the gospel did result from work. It's just not our work. It was the work of Jesus. Jacob here is picturing Jesus. The gospel is our faith in what he did. Jacob is willing to work for Rachel. Jesus is willing to work for the gospel. Jacob's love for Rachel is realized in Jesus' love for us, the church of God. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself by a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And that kind of goes back to what I spoke about in our uh, Romans New Testament reading today. We want to be holy and we want to be without blemish. We're not to use the grace of God for license. So let's try to remember that. And when we fall short, just confess it and move on. Now, while we're looking at this verse, I want to remind you of one of the commentaries which incorrectly interprets what's going on here. Now, this is one of my favorite Bible scholars. His name is Albert Barnes. And uh, he is, he's a great scholar. But in this case, he got it wrong, and he reflects the sentiments of almost every commentator that you will read. The reason why I bring up incorrect uh, commentaries is so that you know not to just listen to commentaries and say, oh, that's the way it is. And I say this week after week about me. When I get done, I hope you'll go home and check out what I say, because maybe Charlie is wrong. But I am certain that Albert Barnes is wrong in his analysis of what he's going to say. He's going to speak about Jacob here. He says, in his destitute state, he could produce no dowry. And it was the custom of those times for the father to receive a portion for his daughter, not to give one with her. Jacob is not in any way in a destitute state. This guy is 77 years old at the time of this account. He's the son of promise. He is the inheritor of Isaac's estate, and he traveled with others to Padanaram. The seven years of work which he agrees to as a dowry is not meant to show that he's destitute. It is meant to keep him away from Esau, his brother, who's threatened to kill him. It is Esau's threats which precipitated the move up here in the first place. Jacob is looking for a wife and obtaining her in a way which will keep him safe, employed, and on Laban's good side during these seven years is what he has in mind. When the seven years are over, he is going to be 84 years old. And when I was reading this, I thought, you know what? I know somebody else in the Bible is 84 years old. And it popped into my mind who it was. And I went and checked it out. And sure enough, as incredible as it seems, this verse that we're looking at right now that says he's 77, it doesn't say 77. We had to figure that out from the Bible itself. But that he's going to work seven years and be 84 years old when it's over, it, picture, it is pictured by a woman in the New Testament. She's found in Luke chapter 2. Let me read this to you. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Anna, her name means grace. She is the daughter of Phanuel. His name means the face of God. She was 84 years old after having been married for seven years. She was of the tribe of Asher. Asher means happy. So the concept that we are to get, you wonder why Anna's even mentioned in there. They show these, God shows these people in here and you think, why are they even mentioned in here? I mean, it's kind of interesting, but what purpose is it? It's to tie it back to this story here, which ties us right back to Jesus. Jesus is the one that restores us to God's grace, Anna, okay? And that restores us to the face of God, Phanuel. And that is what brings us our happiness, Asher, the tribe of Asher. In Jesus Christ, the veil is lifted so that we can see the face of God. That's the picture that we're to get from this. All of these names, all of these ages, all of these places and families, everything is given to show us what God is doing and why. And the result is his son and the work of his son for us. That's why these stories are included in the Bible. Verse 19, then Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Laban is probably very, very happy about this arrangement. He's going to get seven years work out of Jacob, and he's going to marry off one of his daughters to someone who is trustworthy and someone who is of close kin. And he's probably thinking that he may benefit from this in other ways as well. Jacob never asks for anything except Rachel. He doesn't ask for lodging. He doesn't ask for food. And so this does tell us that he did not come in a destitute state. Rather, the only thing that he wants for his work is Laban's daughter. And in an attempt to seem gracious, Laban agrees and he says, okay, stay with me. Now, knowing the type of person that Laban is, as we've seen in our earlier sermons, it is probable that he already has in mind what he's going to do seven years from now, but he keeps his intent secret. All right, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Now, seven in the Bible is the number of spiritual perfection. If you ever want to see an absolutely astonishing breakdown of this number or any other number in the Bible, it actually shows you the wisdom of God like you can't believe. Go to your internet search engine and type in numbers in scripture and the name Bullinger. Okay, you can read his book right online. It was written back in the 1800s. E.W. Bollinger is his name, and he wrote this book. And it will show you so many details about the numbers in Scripture that it is almost impossible for your mind to grasp. It is astonishing what God has in his word with these numbers. Anyway, Jacob's seven years of working picture Jesus' spiritually perfect work on our behalf. Just as Jacob's time was served for a wife that he loved, Jesus served for the wife that he loved too. And that brings us to our second thought, which is deceiving the deceiver. Now, if you don't know this, Jacob's name means heel grabber. That's, that's what it literally means. Yaakov is a heel grabber, and a heel grabber is a deceiver. It's a person that usurps somebody else. And so that's where this comes from, deceiving the deceiver. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Jacob's time has passed and even though it's been seven years, it seems like just a couple of days to him. But the time is now passed, and the agreement must be settled. The time of servitude is accomplished, and now the reward and the payment are to be made. Verse 22, And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, 
and made a feast. This is the fourth time that a feast is noted in the Bible. In Hebrew, it's the word mishteh. At other times, it is, has been looking forward to something else. And I got to tell you what, this one is no, no different. This feast here is looking forward to Palm Sunday, AD 32, when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and he was hailed as the Messiah of Israel. This is going to become clearer in the verses ahead. The men of this place have gathered together for a wedding ceremony and a feast just as those in Israel gathered together on that Palm Sunday. At that time, the people called out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Verse 23, now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Here we see Jacob, the deceiver of his father, being deceived by his new father-in-law. Instead of receiving Rachel, Leah is brought to him. These accounts here are not a one-for-one -one comparison. I say this from time to time, that we have pictures in the Old Testament which show us things in the New Testament, but they're not a one-for-one -one comparison. If they were, then it would be an actually, it would just say what happened. But because no shadow or picture ever is a one-for-one -one comparison, comparison, they're just simply given to show us what is going to happen and why. And this time is no different at all. Jesus was not a deceiver. But the pattern of what happened between Jacob and his father Isaac was to show us Jesus replacing Adam just as Jacob replaced his brother Edom or Esau, okay? Israel has already called on Jesus as their king. That happened on Palm Sunday. And yet there is still more needed before we can go from the law to grace. He had to fulfill the law in its entirety. And that included being betrayed, just as Jacob is betrayed by Laban. Verse 24, And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. The usual custom here, as we've seen already, and it's it, the customs of the Mideast at the time, was to give handmaids to a daughter at her marriage. If you remember the story of Rebecca, she got all kinds of handmaids. She got lots of them, and they went down to Canaan with her. But Laban is a cheap guy, and so he only gives one handmaid for his daughter Leah. The name Zilpah comes from the Hebrew word Zalaf, and it is not found in the Bible. But this word Zalaf means to sprinkle, okay? And this looks to what Jesus Christ did, just as Peter tells us in his first epistle. Here's what he says. He says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling, of the blood of Jesus Christ. Zilpah, the sprinkling, came along with Leah, the law. And for Jesus, along with fulfilling the law, came dying on the cross and the sprinkling of his blood. If you can see these pictures that are being drawn out of here, they are beautiful. It is wonderful to see how God has taken these names and he's tied real people and real occurrences into what he is going to do in his son for us. Verse 25, so it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? It was custom of the people at the time, as it still is in many places, for the bride to be veiled when they got married. Jacob never saw the face of his wife that he worked for, and instead he was deceived by Laban. Although it's a sad thing, it's recorded for us to see, once again, the work of Jesus. There are still seven days from Palm Sunday until his work is finished. 
Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and Jesus served his time in fulfillment of the law, which is pictured by Leah. Verse 26, and Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban makes up this horribly lame excuse. If this was the custom of the people at the time, he would have told it to Jacob seven years earlier. The fact is that he was blessed because of the work of Jacob, and we're going to see this in a future sermon. Laban wants this blessing to continue. However, it's again a picture of Jesus. We cannot receive the grace of God in Christ without first meeting the demands of the law perfectly. Apart from that, we stand condemned, and that is what we're being shown here. Anybody that thinks, oh, I call on Jesus and he saves me and I get God's grace without there being an atonement for their sin first doesn't understand what God is doing for us when we call on Jesus. There's an order to everything in our salvation, including how we relate to God. We must first meet the demands of the law. That's why Jesus came and he did his work and he was crucified to pay our debt. And then we receive the grace of God. Verse 27, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. Laban is going to profit from Jacob's love for Rachel. He knows this 100% that Jacob is going to be willing to work seven more years without any payment for her hand, okay? And to ensure that he accepts, he says, you finish the bridal week. That's all you have to do for Leah. And after that, in just seven more days, you can have your prize. Jesus has seven more days left too. From this Palm Sunday through Saturday is his Passion Week. He's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, and he's going to go into the tomb in those seven days. When the week is over, he will have prevailed over the law. This is the picture that we have right in front of us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Now what that tells us, every one of us needs to know this, that we are either going to meet the law in ourselves and fail, or we will meet the law in Jesus Christ and prevail. And those are the only two choices that we have to us. But the law is as binding till the, attend, the end of the age as it ever was. It is set aside in Christ. And if you are not in Christ, then it is binding on you. So please understand that. He fulfilled the law for us, just as Jacob fulfilled the seven years of work and the seven days of the bridal week for Leah, who pictures the law. Let me let him pass over. This happens from time to time. We get a plane or something, and the helicopters are just a little more noisy than the airplanes. Anyway, as Leah's eyes were weak, they were insufficient to draw Jacob's love. The law was weak as well. The torturous week that Jacob had waiting for Rachel is married by the torturous week of Jesus' passion. Both were, were fulfilled and the time of trouble has passed. Sadness is for a moment, but joy lasts forever. Just imagine it, the granting of the new bride and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, both after seven days of trial. A thought that we need to look at, though, and which is going to come up again, is that Jesus comes through Leah. He doesn't come through late Rachel. It is through Leah's fourth son, who's named Judah. Like I said earlier, God's righteous demands must be met. And so Jesus comes through the law in order to fulfill it on our behalf. 
Rachel is going to be the mother of two children. She's going to be the mother of Joseph and the mother of Benjamin. And both of those children in future stories are going to picture Jesus Christ. Okay, but Jesus doesn't come through them. Also, the blessing and the birthright go to Joseph and to his son Ephraim. They don't go to the sons of Leah. So later in the Bible, Ephraim, who receives this blessing and this birthright, becomes synonymous with the northern tribes of Israel. Hang on a minute. That's a different one, too. That's not the same one. Unless it's black on the other side. But anyway, I think that's a, a different uh, helicopter. Anyway, Ephraim is the one son of Joseph who gets this blessing. He becomes synonymous with the northern tribes of Israel, and those tribes are scattered among the nations, okay? They are called the fullness of the Gentiles, according to Genesis 48. So even in the sons of these two women, the picture remains clear all the way leading to Jesus and leading into the church that Jesus bought with his blood. It all points to Jesus who was born under the law. He fulfilled the law and therefore he is qualified to bestow grace on all people, people who are under the law and people who are apart from the law. Our last thought today, seven more years. Verse 28, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife also. Jacob, instead of fighting at the prospect of having two wives, agrees to the terms, okay? Now, as unfortunate as it is for him, he was willing to complete the bridal week for Leah. And as unfair as it was for Jesus to complete the passion week and to die for sins that he did not commit, he was willing to do so. John writes about it in his book. He says, and of his fullness, meaning Jesus, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fulfillment of the bridal week, Rachel is given to Jacob. And in fulfillment of the law, the Lord's grace is bestowed upon us. Verse 29, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Again, only one maid is given away by Laban to his daughter when she gets married. Now, that's a good thing for him. If you know the story that's coming, then you'll know that he, he ends up with four wives who are both of these maids. And if he had been given 20 maids, and it might have been a real basket case. But anyway, he's, he's got two maids and two wives. He receives 14 years of work. He marries off two daughters, and he only provides the two maids. Bilhah, her name means either foolish or timid. The New Testament connection with Bilhah, and there's only one in the entire New Testament, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's what it says here. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? The name Belial is connected with this name Bilhah. It means beyond purpose or something that's useless. Bilhah bore two sons to Jacob. One is Dan, who follows a path of idolatry. He's the useless son in the tribes of Israel, and he is actually excluded from the sealing of the 12 tribes in Revelation chapter 7, okay? Bilhah also slept with Jacob's oldest son, who was born of Leah, which causes him to lose his birthright. Her being introduced here is probably a picture of what not to do as a Christian. Don't be sexually immoral and don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. And don't mix in the law pictured by Leah 
with the grace which is pictured by Rachel. In other words, for the good thing that came in Rachel came something bad. Just as in the church there are those who rely on the grace of Jesus Christ and there are those who are foolish and who abuse it or who actually try to reintroduce the law. Don't eat pork, don't do this, you gotta be circumcised. And that's the picture we're getting of this maid being given to Rachel. Verse 30, then Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Jacob finally receives his reward and he goes into his little ewe lamb. Likewise, Jesus receives his flock whom he loves. The seven years of serving for Rachel are certainly symbolic of the spiritual completion of the time of the church age, which began in Acts chapter two and is going to end some glorious day at the rapture when Jesus Christ calls us home. At some point, his work is going to be finished and the saints of the ages will be brought out of this land and into the land, the promised inheritance. The time is coming and here we are just patiently waiting. And it is certain, it is absolutely certain that Jacob lifted the veil of Rachel before he went into her. The Bible doesn't say it, but there's no doubt he did. And it has been the custom of the Jewish people ever since to lift the veil of the woman that they're going to marry. And this has continued on in Christianity as well. This is called the Bedekin or the veiling of the bride. And it is done in remembrance of this account right here. However, what it actually pictures is found right in the New Testament. And it is beautiful. Therefore, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Moses went into the presence of God in this tent of meeting and God's glory shone so brightly on him that when he came out, he actually had to veil his face. Natural man cannot look at the purity of God's holiness, which is reflected in his law. We can never meet its requirements. It's not possible. But Jesus did this for us. And now that veil is lifted in Christ and we can look directly at his work, which was done for us. As Paul says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now you can understand the name of Anna's father being included in that account in Luke chapter two. His name is Phanuel. The grace Anna is bestowed upon us and the face of God is made available to us. As I said, every word in the Bible is given to show us of God's love for each one of us and what he did through his son that we couldn't do. Leah was veiled and the law carries a veil. Rachel was unveiled and likewise we received the fullness of the splendor of Jesus Christ and the grace that he gives us. About this account today, going back a little bit, Adam Clark says this, he says, what a man soweth that he shall reap. Jacob had practiced deceit and is now deceived. Every one of us has our own seeds to sow. And it kind of goes back to that psalm I read before we started today, which wasn't planned, but we go out and we sow seeds, all right? We can either sow the seeds of the law and we can become, we can get overcome by the law or we can put our trust in Jesus Christ and 
what he did, and we can overcome the law through him. That's our choice. Every one of us has this choice. We've seen this today in this interesting story of one man who goes from being unmarried to having two wives in just eight days. If you give me just a couple more minutes, I want to try to clearly explain to you why Christ Jesus is important to you if you've never heard this before. All right? The Bible says that God is perfect. He is holy. He is the creator. And that we are fallen. We transgressed God's commandment and we have sin in our lives. And we have fallen from God's favor because of that. And throughout the ages in the Bible, God does certain things to show us his plan as it's being unveiled. And one of the things he did is he selected a group of people and he gave them a law, this beautiful law which shows us his standards. And they are not, we cannot break them. If you break one of these laws, and there's 613 of them, there's 10 commandments and 613 lesser laws. If you break one, the Bible says you've broken the entire law. It's done, all right? But he gave us these to show us how utterly sinful sin is and to show us that we need something more. Let me wait a second here. That's a different one too. That one's three different helicopters. But we have this sin in us. The law is to show us that we cannot meet God's standards and that we are infinitely separated. A finite sin, one finite sin, infinitely separates you from an infinite creator. It's done. And we can't go back before our sin and undo it. And so what did God do? He gave us this to show us that we need something more. The law is called a tutor. It takes us by the hand and it leads us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who came born of a woman, so he did not inherit Adam's sin, and then he lived the perfect life under the law that you and I cannot live. And then he gave his life up as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as I said, here he is. We have to meet the demands of the law before we can receive the grace of God. We can't get this out of order. The only way that you can receive the grace of God is by having the law fulfilled through him. And it is so simple. This is called a stumbling block in the New Testament. It is so simple that we just trip right over it. All God wants us to do is to say, I cannot do it myself. I understand that. And that I want somebody to do it in my place. And that has to be a perfect somebody. And that is Jesus, God's son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, all of these stories here are given to show us this and to tell us this is really going to happen. This is really going to happen. I'm not going to make a mistake and just introduce something in history that is just, you know, an error. It is perfect in what he is detailing for us so that when we see him come, we know that this is the one that was prophesied in these, these obscure stories from the Old Testament. Please call on Jesus today and be reconciled to God through him, and it will be done forever. The moment you call on Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It says that you are seated with him in the heavenly places, and that can never be taken away. Just as you can't go back before your sin and undo it, you also will never go back before and undo the salvation God provides you. That's how much God loves you, is that he did that for you. Okay, here's our closing verse today. It's from Romans 9, verse 25. I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. All of us were outside of the covenant promises of God, and he sent his son to die in our place, and now we are beloved of God because of somebody else's work and somebody else's death. 
in the glorious resurrection that resulted from that. All right. Next week, we're going to look at Genesis 29, verses 31 through 35. It's only four verses. It's called Four Sons for Leah. That'll be our 69th Genesis sermon. And uh, I want to tell you before I give you our weekly poem that the Lord has you exactly, exactly where he wants you. And he has a good plan and he has a purpose for you. So call on him and let him do wonderful things in you and through you. All right. Here's our poem. It's based on the verses that we just uh, read. I do this every week, so we've almost got a whole uh, book of poetry out of the uh, book of Genesis. But here we go. This is called From the Law to Grace. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? I think not. Tell me, what should your wages be? Just a hint, please give. Pick your wages. Go ahead and give it a shot. Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the elder's name. The younger was Rachel, and the two girls didn't look the same. Leah's eyes were delicate, some would say quite weak, but Rachel was a beauty in appearance, as the Bible does speak. Now Jacob loved Rachel, and so he gave a clue. I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your youngest, you see. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another. Stay here with me. So for Rachel, Jacob, seven years did he serve, and they seemed to him only a few days because of the great love that he had for her. Yes, Jacob was smitten by Rachel in all ways. Then Jacob said to Laban, to me my wife give, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gave, gathered together all the men where they did live, and he made a feast. It was a big one for sure. Now it came to pass in the evening time that he took Leah, his daughter, instead, and brought her near to Jacob, such a crime. And he went into her in her wedding bed. And Laban gave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. But this didn't resolve the problem of how Jacob was betrayed. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah in his bed, not Rachel like he was told. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? This isn't Rachel, as you can clearly see. Why then have you have deceived like this and been untrue? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn fulfill her week and we will give you the other also you will serve another seven years like the first that you had sworn then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week as was bade so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to Rachel as a maid then Jacob went into Rachel so happily you know and he loved Rachel more than Leah as the time he did fill and he served with Laban faithfully another seven years still this story of great love is realized in Christ Jesus, who came as a man and fulfilled the law for us. Then he received his bride, the fulfillment of the law, and then another to him did come. His grace descends upon us as we look back in awe, all because of Jesus and the work that he has done. What a marvelous story of the love of God. May we carefully read it and cherish it all of our days, and may we proclaim the gospel while on this earth we trod until we meet in heaven for the resounding choir of praise. There we shall sing eternally glory to our King, and there with the angels shall to him we sing. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the absolute assurance that you have given us, that we are reconciled to you by what he did. And help us to understand all the days of our life, the glory and the majesty of his work, and to never do anything but faithfully proclaim it to others and not hold it back, not be timid, but to shout it out from the top of the mountains that there is reconciliation with you 
through your son. And we thank you for that gift. And I pray for each person here that uh, they would have a safe and uh, prosperous week ahead and that your hand would be upon them and that you would just fill them with good food and with uh, happiness and with contentment with those that they uh, live with and that they interact with throughout the week and that they would be a blessing to others as well. Lord, thank you. Thank you for every blessing you've given us. And we just want to give you praise and glory and honor because of your son and his work, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen.